Hello, and welcome back to the EV Life podcast, or if this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is one of our most anticipated episodes for the podcast because it deals with something that us Albertans are very well acquainted with, and that is winter. So I'm here with our producer, Allison Bench, to chat about everyone's favorite season and how it affects EVs. You know what? I think there are some people who do consider winter to be their favorite season. There are. That's true. But even they might not like it when it's minus 40 or I don't know, maybe they do. If you if you like minus 40, send me an email at community at ama.ab.ca and let me know because I want to know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it turns out that some EVs don't like, you know, really frigid temperatures. They're maybe not um, optimally designed to work in those extreme cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. But you know what? That is the reality here in Canada and especially here in Alberta. Um, Canada is a winter country and, you know, while the adoption of EVs in Canada is picking up, it isn't as high as in some other countries like Norway, for example. Yes. So adoption of EVs in Norway is extremely high. In 2021, 86% of all new car sales in Norway (laughs) were EVs. So that's extremely high compared to most other countries. Um, Here in Canada, just 7% of all new vehicle purchases were EVs in 2021. So they had 86% of all their new vehicles, you know, EVs and ours was at 7%. So there's a big difference there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, since Norway is a winter country, uh, we can look to see, look to them to see what we can learn and, you know, maybe see what Canada might look like in in a couple of years down the road. And like AMA is here for drivers in Alberta, in Norway, they have the Norwegian Auto Federation. So they're kind of like our counterparts in Norway. And they're referred to as NAF, but um, you'll hear my guest uh, soon, Annette, refer to it as NUF, I think is how she says it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've been working to make sure its members are aware of all the ins and outs of EVs, including how they function in winter. Mm -hmm. And and one of the ways that uh, NIF does that is with its EV winter testing programs, uh, where they take cars right out on the winter roads to find out how they perform when it's cold out. And and they compare it to, you know, what the manufacturers tell you about these cars. You know, when you buy one, you say it says this is what the range is. Right. So they take them out on the winter roads and they see what what the difference is depending on the weather. Right. Like how it kind of stacks up to what the manufacturer is telling you your range will be. Mm-hmm. So, of course, like the this is important information to know, especially for Albertans. So we'll be hearing from Annette Berf from the Norwegian Auto Federation, also known as NIF. And I just want to say before we get into the interview that Annette is Norwegian and she speaks Norwegian. But of course, she does this interview with us in English. And I really appreciate that. Like, I can't imagine how it is speaking about the some of these technical things in a language that's foreign to you. And so I really, really appreciated her taking some time. There is an eight hour difference. So, you know, even coordinating this interview was a little bit tricky. Um, and so we're just so appreciative to Annette and everyone over at the NAF for speaking to us on this podcast on this really important topic. She joined us from Oslo, of course. And so without further ado, let's jump into that interview. Hi, Annette. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So 
Annette is from the Norwegian Auto Federation, and I'll refer to it as NAF, but you have a a nicer way that you sort of abbreviate it. How do you refer to the club? Well, um, our long name is the Norwegian Automobile Federation, but NUF is more than good enough. NUF, okay. (laughs) So, Annette, I wanted to talk to you about EVs and their performance in winter weather, because that's a question that we hear from people who are thinking of buying EVs quite often. So, We know when you buy an EV, you're given a range from the manufacturer on how far your car can go on a full single charge. How do you know how the manufacturer determines this range? Yes. Let me try and and explain that for you, because that range number is, especially here in Norway, that range number is kind of mainly the number that they use to advertise the EV's, uh, you know, capabilities. So it's used Mm -hmm. very liberally. And all cars on the market, whether it be an electrical car or a car with a combustion engine, they go through a test that a test procedure that determines the fuel consumption and emissions. Right. So here in the here in Europe, this is called the WLTP test. Uh, I know a lot of Americans probably know it as the EPA uh, yeah. range or test. Uh, some might know the NEDC test, and there's the new one called the CLTC. So there's a lot of abbreviations. Mm-hmm. And this test procedure is kind of like a, a, a series of test cycles that mimic real-world driving. So, you know, city driving, rural driving, highway driving, and it estimates how much emissions and consumption a car has. So for electrical cars, they don't have emissions, but they have, of course, the consumption number right. and they have a range. So, but like I said, this is a test cycle that mimics driving. So it's a laboratory test that simulates real world driving. And that's kind of where that's where the issue is at. Right, because it's not it's not actually out in the real world. So I guess they they, you know, try to mimic as many scenarios as possible, but you never really know what you're gonna get until you're out driving about. Exactly. So it's a lot better than what we used to have. So the previous test, the NEDC NEDC test was a lot less accurate. So the WLTP range test is supposed to be a lot more accurate. For instance, it takes into consideration, you know, your equipment, your tire dimension, the weight of the car. Um, But it's still a a laboratory test that is done, you know, in a room temperature kind of setting. So the the test is done between... 14 and 23 degrees. So it's kind of like this ideal world scenario. Right. And I know that both you and us, we don't have 14 and 23 degrees all year round. No, definitely not right now. It's it's cold in the Alberta prairies, in the Canadian prairies. So those ideal world conditions, you know, we, we do get them, but not very often throughout the year. So, you know, overall, I think it's understood that, especially with EVs, you don't get that full range that the manufacturer is telling you you'll get during the winter time. And your club does testing on popular EVs, like their performance in the winter to determine what the actual range is like in cold weather. So can you tell us a little bit about those tests and your findings? Yes, I'd love to. But first of all, I'd actually really like to address uh what you say that, you know, it's generally understood that EVs have shorter range in the winter. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the first movers, you know, the tech savvy buyers that were the first ones to buy EVs, 
Right. I think they understood that because they read everything they could about EVs. You know, they wanted to know everything about battery chemistry. They understood how, how batteries work. But I think maybe now that we're moving into more of a mass volume market where, you know, the buyers are just really average consumers that maybe don't have time to spend that much time to get to know what technology. I don't know if we should assume that they understand that, you know, this range that is being advertised, that that isn't the real world range. A lot of consumers might not just know that. No, I think we assume that because the first movers were so tech savvy that we just assume that, well, everyone has heard about EVs for so long. So mm-hmm. I'm sure they know about that whole range thing. I don't think that's the case. And I think, you know, buyers today want more transparent information. They want, you know, the, those real world values so that they actually buy the EV that is practical for their use. Right. And at the moment, those ideal ranges and charging times that are being advertised is not is not what they need. They need something more practical. And that's really what they wanted to to kind of obtain and to to do with these real world range and charging tests is actually give people you know, something really practical that explained what range is mm-hmm. and what they could expect from the car that they were interested in, but also kind of, you know, through practical um, tests that they could also really see physically how, you know, shorter a car drove in the winter compared to the summer. Right. Um, because how we, how we built this test is that we do, we test the same cars on the same day on the same route, right. both summer and winter. So okay. the test is as closely comparable in the summer and winter as we could possibly, you know, as we could possibly make it. How many cars are you testing? So we test as many as we can on the same day. So usually we test around 30 EVs on the same day. Okay. So quite a lot. <laughs> uh, which is, an, <laughs> it's, it's a massive group test, but it's also what, it's also what makes it, you know, comparable because, you know, EVs, um, I mean, all cars are, uh, the consumption of any car is impacted on, you know, by your driving style, where you drive, what kind of weather you drive in, those kind of, um, uh, those kind of exterior uh, elements impact the EVs so much more. More so than the traditional vehicles, right? Or is that is that fair to say? Yes, some of it more and some of it the same. Okay. Um, in the fact that, you know, with the general, you know, uh, petrol, diesel car, you have such a large fuel tank that you've probably never noticed or considered the fact that your consumption do increase, you know, the colder it gets or if you drive in the rain. Right. You've never thought of it because you have such a large range you know, to begin with, because, you know, I don't know how many liters you have in your fuel tank, but it's, you know, it's so much that you don't consider the fact that you suddenly drive, you know, 100 kilometers shorter. It doesn't affect you because you probably have a range around a thousand kilometers and you have a fuel station on every corner. So do you think it's just more noticeable with the EV because typically the range is a bit shorter than a traditional internal combustion engine? Correctly. So you just, you feel it so much more. There aren't chargers everywhere. Your, you know, your range is so much more limited. I mean, of course, there are some factors in regards to the battery chemistry, 
that makes the EVs kind of feel cold so much more because the ideal temperature of an EV, you know, they don't like extreme cold and they react to extreme heat. Mm-hmm. But it is fairly similar. And we, uh, so we've tested around uh, 72 electric vehicles now. We've done this test for the past uh, three years. Okay. Um, and like I said, we do this test uh, on the exact same day uh, under the same conditions. So what we found is that the EVs lose everything between 4 and 32% of their range in the winter. So it varies quite a lot. So yeah, that's quite the <laughs> quite the range there. And I guess, it, is that just dependent on which car you're driving? Yes, it is. So, uh, you know, all EVs are not created equally. Right. Uh, there are some OEMs that have really, you know, optimized their battery technology or their heating system Mm -hmm. to make sure that their consumption stays low, that their heating system is um, effective, which means that they they aren't impacted. Um, The cold doesn't impact them as much as other other brands. Right. So the worst, kind of the worst ones in our bunch have been the Skoda Enyaq iX80. And uh, I think you call it the Chevrolet Bolt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, oh, I don't think I've heard of that one. But yeah, we have the Chevy Bolt. Yeah. So those are the ones that are hit to the 30% range range loss. Okay. And are you able to tell us which ones kind of performed the best? Yeah. So, um, you know, a couple of the brands that are really impressive have been BMW. Oh. So the iX3 mm-hmm. uh, has been one of our top ranking cars. And the same with... Um, Hyundai Kona has also done it really well um, over the past few years. They, yeah, they keep their range and they keep their consumption low. And what temperatures are you testing in the winter? So the the, um, the temperatures that we've tested in is everything between, so when we start driving in Oslo, it's usually around, you know, zero, maybe minus one degrees. And okay. we've kind of ended up around minus 10 degrees in the mountains. Okay. So it varies quite a lot. So one year we had a lot of snow. So the thing with, you know, range tests is that um, both years or both winters are necessarily directly comparable. Yeah, we know that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one year we had a lot of snow, uh, which means that, you know, um, the resistance in the the road is a lot lot heavier, meaning, you know, range is shorter. But another time we had colder, um, a colder winter, but kind of fairly, you know, more solid roads. Um, so it's been a little bit of everything. We haven't done the extreme winters yet. So we haven't tested in like minus 20, but I guess you guys have. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say uh, minus 20 is extreme because I think today we're minus 20 and we're just, this is just the start. <laughs> so I, that, you know, kind of brings me to my next question because temperatures can drop to minus 40, you know, sometimes maybe even a little bit colder than that. So are EVs still a good option for people who live where I do? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's uh, one thing that I'd like to focus on when, when we talk about EVs is what your driving style or where or your driving habits, what they are like. Mm-hmm. Because I would say first, it really depends on your daily commute. Okay. So, for instance, if you just do a lot of short trips, so you know, commute into work, you don't really go to a cabin or go on any wrong long run. Uh, I mean, that's perfect conditions for for an EV, and it, even when it gets really really cold. 
Because, I mean, if you think about it, uh, a diesel car is really not a car or a technology that, like, short trips because, you know, the particle filter clogs up. Right. doesn't really perform well because it never really heats up. Whereas the EV heats up extremely quickly. So, I mean, just a few minutes after you get in your car, if you haven't preheated it, your car is warm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your windshield is um, free of ice. Your your driving condition, you know, your your cockpit is is warm and dry. So in some ways, the EV is kind of, you know, a better winter car if you're typically just doing short commutes to work, Mm -hmm. you know, on the on the average day, because I you're right. I have been inside of an EV and it heats up in seconds, (laughs) which doesn't happen in a traditional car. No, it doesn't. And you feel that instantly. So, I mean, first of all, all of these come with kind of a preheating system usually, mm-hmm. meaning that you can just easily, you know, control your car. You don't have to do any kind of additional uh, equipment to have preheating. It just comes automatically with, right. with your car. It heats up very quickly. And then you don't have any type of oil or fuel Burning. that, you know, reacts badly. Yeah, that reacts badly to to cold and makes, you know, uh, starting your car even more difficult. I mean, the EV will start every time. The only thing that is the same thing that will have issues as, you know, a nice car has is the, um, the start battery, so the 12 volt battery. Okay. That's kind of the only one you need to remember to to maintain throughout the winter, especially if you do a lot of short trips. Right. So it's not necessarily a bad car for winter, but if you're doing longer trips, you would you will have to charge more frequently. Yes. Um, I mean, with your minus 20 already now, so you'll probably get into the minus 30s. We hope not, but we know it will. <laughs> so the colder it gets, the more range you will lose. I mean, simply by the fact that the colder it gets, the more your car needs to work to maintain, you know, a comfortable temperature both inside the car and in the battery. So I see that some people or some organization, you know, work with the number of minus 40% range loss. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem that extreme considering the fact that we've measured, you know, around 30% range loss in conditions up to minus 10 degrees. So, you know, somewhere around that does seem, you know, does seem realistic. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, but you've already confirmed. So if it's minus 20 today and minus 30 tomorrow, I will lose more range tomorrow. Yeah. So, the, you know, you will lose more range the colder it gets. So it's really important to kind of use the EV to its fullest potential, meaning that you preheat it before you drive. Oh, that you use electricity from the grid to heat up the battery, you know, heat up your driving environment so that you don't use your main battery on actually heating up your car. So you just preheat as much as you can. That keeps uh, the, um, the consumption lower, meaning that you at least get a little bit more range. So sorry, just to clarify. So when you say preheat it, do you, you're talking about while your car is still plugged in, you warm it up before you get into drive it. So then you're not using your battery for that. Correctly. And there's another aspect actually that we haven't talked about. And that is that in winter, your rapid charging also is a lot slower. Oh. So that's also one of the things that we've managed, that we've measured is that it's so much more difficult to, you know, to drive your battery warm. So unless your car has the preheating function before rapid charging, it's really difficult to reach those, um, those numbers that again, the OEMs, uh, advertise with 
So let's say a car is supposed to charge with 150 kilowatts at a maximum. We usually get maybe around, could be 120, maybe as low as 100 in the winter because it's just really difficult to, to drive your car warm enough to heat, to, to, yeah, to charge ideally. Oh, I didn't know that it also affected charging. No. But with that sort of loss in charging time, is it that significant, you would say? It depends. I mean, charging is something that is, especially when you charge on the road, it's not necessarily something that uh, affects you as much as the range. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think when it comes to charging, I think it's more a fact of being aware of of the fact that it's really difficult to reach those ideal numbers. It might take, it's, it's five to 10 minutes longer in the winter. Okay. Um, but it's more just being aware of it and understanding the technology. Right. So if you're aware of it, you can factor, you know, that those few extra minutes into your, your driving time. Exactly. And if you do, if you live in a country that has a lot of, you know, where it's cold, for instance, like with both you, you and Norway, I think it's important maybe to look for an EV that has functionality that makes it an EV that functions better in the winter. Right. So for instance, having a function um, of preheating your battery before rapid charging, that is not something that all OEMs have. So it's that's kind of a good function to look for if you if you live somewhere where it's really cold. Is that information available in your report? Um, yes, it's available on where we, because we've broken kind of our tests into hard um, charging tests and mm -hmm. um, and range tests, where we try and explain, you know, the different technology that each car has in order for it to be a better winter car. So when it comes to range, we try to make it transparent if the car has any kind of heating system any kind of, we call it a Nordic winter package, mm -hmm. where usually there's some some sort of adaptations that maybe the rest of Europe don't have in order for the batteries to be, you know, perform better in the winter. Right. So we try and make those sort of functions um, very easily available and understandable. So Norway has been referred to as a leader in EV adoption. So despite all of the, you know, potential issues that may come up with when driving an EV in winter conditions... Why do you think that is? Why do you think a lot of Norwegians are still buying EVs despite, you know, the fact that you know, it's not as optimal in winter? Well, I think it's, but to understand the Norwegian market and why EVs have become such a success there, I mean, we're, like you say, I mean, we're crazy to have adopted <laughs> EVs the way we have with our <laughs> conditions. I mean, the winter is one thing, but we're an extremely, you know, our country has, has steep mountains, you know, long fjords that you have to drive around. I mean, it's it's quite extreme. But mm -hmm. Norwegians have Norwegians have good economy, right? So we've always been early adopters of new technology. So you know, uh, try and look away from the fact that it's an EV. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that it's new technology means that we usually want to adopt it as soon as we possibly can, right? We, <laughs> we have the economy for it. Gotcha. And, and the other thing is that I think you need to understand that the subsidy package that our government have, have kind of um, implemented have made it so much cheaper to purchase a brand new car that an EV is oh. and to purchase an EV that it just became so much more, you know, financially viable options. So you right. were kind of given 
Yeah, we're sort of given um, since the technology wasn't mature, since, you know, the infrastructure for charging weren't really ready. Right. We were sort of given a little nudge. Um, a little helpful incentive. Yes, exactly. And that's just, I mean, I think especially the last one, the subsidy uh, system has made EVs the success that it has been because it's been so cheap. Well, Annette, thank you so much for taking some time to speak to us today. I know you're eight hours ahead. And so while we're just beginning our day, you're kind of wrapping yours up. So I really appreciate it. Uh, Before we go, I just want to ask, where can our listeners find the report that your club put together? So we have a lot of the findings on our website, uh, nas.no. So I'm sure that you'll be able to share that with your with your listeners. We will. And by using Google Translate, it should be easy to to follow. And I can also reveal that we are currently planning our winter test. So on the first and the second of February of 2023, we will test probably 35 of the newest EVs. So that will be extremely interesting. So we'll have a more updated report in the beginning of 2023. Absolutely. And we'll see how far the range technology has evolved, charging technology, and if they're still as affected by winter conditions as the previous years. Well, Annette, thank you so much. We really appreciated talking to you. Before I go, I have one final question and I ask all of my guests this. What's one thing about the future of transportation you're most looking forward to? That is such a big question, but I think I know. I think I would narrow it. I think I would narrow it down to I would love OEMs that make the transition to electric vehicles so much easier. Right. By making charging understandable, making understanding range easy, and it's a few of the functions that I've mentioned previously. Uh, by including preheating of battery to help charging uh, become easier to include estimated range and state of charge in navigation systems. So I think a lot of OEMs have a long way of go, long way to go when it comes to making an EV easy to use. Okay. So that's what I would love to see in the coming years. Well, thank you so much. That was a great answer, by the way. Thank you so thank you so much for having me. It's been great to share our experience with you guys all the way across from the other side of the world. So happy to have had that conversation with Annette. Yeah, so interesting too. And and such a good idea to do that testing and then <laughs> hear and learn what the winter does to all these different types of EVs. Right. And, you know, speaking of weather and EVs, we also talked to Dr. Marshall Shepard, a climate expert, distinguished professor of atmospheric science and a former NASA scientist. I don't know if anybody else is impressed by that, but I hear you worked for NASA and I am instantly impressed. And he also drives an EV and advocates for more people to try them out. Yes, yes. And Dr. Shepard is also a regular contributor to Forbes, and he's actually written several articles that go over some myths around EVs. We wanted to talk to him because, well, he's a weather expert, so he knows how it can be all over the world weather-wise, but he still strongly believes in EVs. So let's hear that conversation now. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Shepard. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about your expertise? I am a a research meteorologist and climate scientist at the University of Georgia. Uh, But prior to joining the faculty at the university, I was a scientist at NASA. So 
I am a card-carrying scientist that studies weather and climate. Yeah, card-carrying scientist. That's important. Yes, especially these days when there's all kinds of science information out there. But uh, I actually am a climate scientist and a, and a meteorologist. Uh, have a bachelor's, master's, and PhD from Florida State University, and uh, have been in the field of weather and climate for almost uh, three decades now. So, Dr. Shepard, it's actually funny. I found you online through an article that you wrote for Forbes about EVs in winter. And I thought, you know, what are the odds that Dr. Shepard will come on the podcast? So we reached out to you. And as you mentioned, you're a climate expert. Um, But what drew you to write an article or you've written several articles actually on EVs. And so what kind of drew you to that? Well, I, I have a, a, a Forbes column, regular column that I write, and I have carte blanche to write about generally whatever I want. And so I, I am an EV owner now. I've had, a, had an EV for uh, over a year. And I, I just noticed in the social media space, particularly Twitter, that there are these myths and misperceptions out there. And so the first article I wrote in Forbes dealt with the five things that I hear often uh, from skeptics or contrarians about people who own own uh, EVs. And so I just addressed some of those. Mm. And then the article that you're referring to, you know, just from my own experience as a, a new EV owner, how I noticed battery uh, performance and charging changed as a function of the season. So in the colder season, uh, I noticed that I got less range. Mm-hmm. And so I just did a little research on, on the the science of that and decided to share it with my readers. So you mentioned that you've been driving an EV for over a year and what sparked your sort of first uh, desire to write an article on it were some myths that you saw popping up. Are you able to share a couple of those? Well, sure. I mean, you know, I think many of us that maybe own EVs have heard them and perhaps some of your listeners of the podcast have heard them even if they don't. I mean, there you know, there's certainly questions about well, it's going to cause your your home power bill to increase. Well, and and, and here in the state that I live in, the, the power company has an EV rate that I easily switch to, and so it it didn't really uh, cause any issues at all in terms of my uh, electricity or power bill. Uh, the other is there just aren't enough charging stations around, and it's hard to find them. I think people would be pleasantly surprised, at least here in the part of the United States that I live in, mm-hmm. in the Atlanta area, with just how dense the network of chargers are. And with recent uh, legislation passed here in this country, at least, that's only going to get better. I mean, I think we're going to see a rapid expansion of charging capacity. And then, of course, there's the, oh, well, you're a climate scientist and an environmentalist. <laughs> Aren't you worried about the, the metals and the the mining and the batteries and so forth. Well, yes, I am, but I'm more worried right now about climate change because it's certainly, uh, I think, the crisis of our generation. And I think the reduction in carbon emissions for me right now certainly is of more significant concern. But yes, we are concerned. And then I think another myth that I hear is, well, the batteries, the batteries in the cars, you can't rely on them. They're, they're expensive to replace. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a 10-year warranty on the car that I purchased the battery. So, uh, you know, over a 10-year period, if something goes awry, uh, the company will replace it. And so those were just some of the general myths that I, I see swatted down. And there's one more I wrote an entire separate article on, which is, well, people who drive EVs are elitist. You're not thinking about the rest of the uh, population that can't afford them right now. And yes, cost is of concern. But I wrote an article noting 
that EVs could be the great equalizer because when we see the, the gas price fluctuations, imagine a lower income family trying to decide to buy gas for their cars. Well, EVs will eliminate that that sort of dependence on uh, the fluctuations in gas right. prices, which is really more of a functional supply of demand in the global market. Yeah, all great um, points that you bring up. And we actually discuss all of those myths on the podcast as well, because they're quite common myths, I would say. And another common, well, not really a myth, but I would say a concern a lot of people um, for a lot of people who are considering purchasing an EV is the performance in cold weather. So we're in Canada. We live in I live in the prairies and it gets quite cold here. So that is, uh, you know, a very real concern for people. So you talked a little bit about um, just overall performance in winter. Can you talk um, tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's just science. It's, it's chemistry. I mean, the way our, these EV batteries are designed, the chemical reactions that uh, that lead to charging and to power uh, have a, a temperature dependence right now. And so uh, in colder conditions, uh, at least, and I live in the southern part of the United States where it gets cold at certain times of the year for sure, uh, there's, a, there's a reduction in the performance and charging capacity of the batteries. And that really is what it is right now. But the good news is, I think certainly as technology and the sort of generation of car electric vehicles progresses, I think we're going to see that mitigated. Some. So I think it's one of those things that early generation or earlier generation adopters of EVs just have to kind of deal with it right now. But I, I wouldn't say that it's a make or break uh, challenge for someone that owns, wants to own an EV. It's just something you have to be aware of because I think uh, even if we see a new electric vehicles rolling out by all of the car makers, I, cer- I certainly know that they're aware of that and uh, technology tends to kind of catch up pretty quickly. So I, I, I'm not particularly concerned about it where I live, but you know, for your listeners and people in Canada, uh, I could certainly understand how it might cause a little bit more pause. But the consensus right now is that typically you lose about 20% range um, in the wintertime with your EV. So for someone who's just doing day-to-day driving, it do you think it matters that much? Does it make that much of a difference? I, I don't. I mean, I, again, I, I have an early generation uh, Mach-E from Ford, the, Mus- the new Mustang Mach-E. Mm-hmm. And I bought one of the first generations. And so on a warm day, I get about 230 miles of range. That's the newer model Mach-E's actually have above 300 mile range in it. Uh, here in the States, we still use miles. I, imagine, I don't know if you all use kilometers in Canada. You know what? I'm not going to do math, um, you know, right now, but uh, our listeners can figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, you all are everywhere. The rest of the world uses kilometers. <laughs> but uh, I guess what I'm suggesting is that on a warm day, I, I get about 230 miles of charge on my mm-hmm. current EV. And on a co- on the coldest of days, it drops down to about 205. So it's certainly within that, very much that range you talk about. But it's not really enough of a reduction to alt- significantly alter my habits in any way. We've established that the cold does affect, you know, EV battery life. But are there other weather factors that could affect the performance of your EV? So, for example, if I'm in the desert and it's 100 degrees out, will I will that affect the performance of my EV? One thing to keep in mind 
is that when you're in extreme heat conditions, uh, you might be using your air conditioning or other things in the right. car, and that actually is also using battery. Uh, so oftentimes when you get lower on battery charge, your, your car will request that you uh, discontinue use of things like the air conditioner or the fans and so forth to conserve energy. So those are things to keep in mind uh, in the extreme heat. Uh, your air condition is, uh, conditioning is likely, depending on the type of, of vehicle you have, likely drawing from your power source as well. Right. Well, Dr. Shepard, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I'll end off the interview with a question I sort of ask all of our guests, and that's, is there something in particular that you're really excited about when thinking about the future of transportation? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about uh, a future of transportation that doesn't involve fossil fuels, honestly, or at least is a reduction in uh, the reliance because the carbon emissions are significant threats to our climate system, extreme weather, uh, and all of the cascading impacts that that has on our economy, agriculture, public health, infrastructure, and more. So the, the more we can wean ourselves off of uh, gasoline and fossil fuels for our vehicles, the better. And that's what really excites me. Thanks, Dr. Shepard. Thank you for listening to another episode of the EV Life podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Maharaj. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast so that you always know when a new episode drops and we'll have new episodes every Monday. And next week, we'll be joined by CAA National to learn more about their EV Buyer's Guide. And this is such a neat tool. You can basically go on there and plunk in all of your information and it gives you several different EV options to choose from and it's just a really cool tool. And so we're going to talk about how they developed this and some of the options on there. And I cannot wait for you to hear that conversation. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That episode will be out next Monday. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by sending an email to community at ama.ab.ca. Talk to you next week.